We've been in a series this week, this month, all of February called Heaven's Heartbeat. And February is often in churches, relationship months, which to me gets a little predictable and repetitive. As a pastor, I try to find a creative way to give you something uh, practical that you can not only be reminded of, but maybe learn something new, including myself. Uh, Part of preaching is preaching to myself. I act like it's for y'all, but it's really just for me. I'm kind of selfish with God's word, you know. It's okay to be selfish with God's word, right? We should be, right? So these four weeks, this is week three, we've been going through different emotions that we often let put in the place of the simplicity of heaven's heartbeat, which is God's love. The simplicity of heaven, the essence of who God is, everything he is, you can't take away from it, is love. That is heaven's heartbeat. That is what makes heaven separate from this world. That is what separates sin from uh, wholeness. That's what, what separates holiness from fallen and on and on is the, the, the cleansing that we get by the love of God through forgiveness. But at the core of all these different parts of our walk, love is the reason. Love started it and love will finish it. And so I don't know about you, but it's, a been, a, it's been a little bit of a deep series. And I, I was trying to make it, you know, just, woohoo! It's, it's, a holiday, it's Valentine's month. And, but this has been really getting into people's hearts, and that's what we wanted. And so today, I promise you we'll end good, but just stay with me, okay? And next week it'll be even happier. We always end it good for Jesus. But we also want to have real talk once in a while. Or what are we doing? John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. Jesus is talking to the original 12, which are called apostles. Just so you know, a disciple can be anybody who follows Jesus, but the apostles were the original 12, plus the replacement, who never got mentioned, but once again in Scripture after Judas. Matthias, that's because Paul was the unofficial 12th, even though he was technically the 13th. He never got named it, but he seemed to take the place of Matthias, who only got mentioned once after replacing Judas. Can I get a little theological on y'all and put you to sleep right now? Matthias was only mentioned the one time he replaced Judas and never mentioned again in Scripture. I just find that interesting. But Paul, everybody knows Paul, was never elected officially, and he ended up writing most of the new Testament through the hands of like Luke. Did you know he had a vision problem? Remember the, remember the, uh, the road to Damascus? He needed some help writing it, but he could say it. Anyway, that has nothing to do with today. Just some fun Bible facts for you. Jesus went on to say, verse 16, in a little while, you will see me no more. In a little while. Everybody say, in a little while. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me again. And because I am going to the Father, uh, it's confusing to them. They kept saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while? You will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. The scripture is very repetitive. It, 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 it's supposed to uh, drive emphasis or importance when you see uh, repeated 
phrasing in words, that's God trying to show you the significance of what he's saying. Verse 20, very, verily, verily, excuse me, NIV, verily, true, very truly, I tell you, <laughs> that's King James I was saying, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Very truly, I tell you, soon, in a little while, you will weep and mourn while the world is rejoicing and having a good old time. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. I can't speak for my wife, but we have a two-month-old, and I bet I could ask her if the joy is greater than the travail prior to the birth of the new season of Camilla. It's amazing. God will bring you something that replaces the pain and that you actually kind of forget about it. I mean, you can force yourself to remember something, but if you really let it go, it's gone. And that's what's so cool about God and how he touches us through these seasons. Verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one, everybody say no one, will take away your joy. Nobody can take away your joy at this point. If I give it to you, says the Lord, in that day you will no longer ask me anything very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask. He's saying, if you ask it, I'll give it to you. There's nothing I won't give you is what he's saying. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you receive, and your joy will be complete. Everybody say complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively to this point, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. Whose name? My name, Jesus. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. You can ask directly through my name. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. The title of week three in this Heaven's Heartbeat series is Love is Greater Than Sadness. Love is Greater Than Sadness. We talked about love is greater than jealousy. We talked about love is greater than bitterness. This week we're talking about love being greater than sadness. And next week, I'll, I don't want to spoil it, but it's going to throw you. It's not going to be the same as these last three. I was watching. I was getting on Instagram for some inspiration this morning. You know, as I'm speaking to the Lord, I thought he'd say, look at Instagram. How many heard my Instagram? It's a joke, people. I mean, I was really on it, but I didn't ask God to send me there or something. That'd be weird, you know. How many remember my story about scars and I saw the guy fishing? And um, it actually was really cool because I couldn't think of a sermon one time. And I was on Instagram and then I saw this guy fishing that I know and it sparked this amazing story that came back to me. But no, this, this morning I, I, I found myself seeing Justin Bieber all over my Instagram like home dashboard. Now I don't understand Nicole because I don't search Biebs. I don't look for Biebs. But Biebs was all over like tiles of beebs at different, different times. And, and here's what's funny about the beebs is he married a uh, Baldwin. 
and, and I don't remember her name, but I met her dad years ago when I was a, a, a struggling, starving, lonely, actually about the time I played the Uno, Jen, when I was a, I was a starving artist, they call you, in Nashville. And, and I, I had a manager, and she says, hey, I got this guy. He's a Baldwin, and he's looking to build a skate park and have a record label associated to it, and he's looking for artists. I'm like, yes, Baldwin, how can we go wrong? So we went to the Pancake Pantry. Has everybody been to Nashville before? Let me just tell you, the Pancake Pantry is world famous uh, in Music City. And if you go to the Pancake Pantry, they'll tell you you might run into Vince Gill because he likes to eat a lot of pancakes. And uh, he, he would hang out there. And my college was right down the street. That was Belmont. And so the Pancake Pantry, I actually got French toast is the best thing they had. So we went to the Pancake Pantry. That's where you had a lot of meetings for, for important stuff. And there's Stephen Baldwin. Anybody know Stephen? Now, you might not know his story, but he, he, he lived a very uh, Hollywood life, and then he found Jesus later and really like, became an outspoken advocate for the gospel. But one thing I remember about the guy, and I don't really know him, is that he was always smiling. Like, he always looked happy. And I remember, um, that it didn't really lead to anything, but he was cool, and we got to hang out, and the Instagram beads led me to that thought of, of how I sat with him that time, and... and um, he really was new to the music business, and, and I was just like, scraping for any opportunity. And we had pancakes and whatever, and he was just so happy. He was smiling all the time. I mean, I mean, just captivating. I'm not saying like in a romantic way. I'm saying there was something unique about this guy. He was always smiling. And there's been a few other people, I can count them on three fingers in my life that I remember that are like this. And there's something about those people. Does it mean their lives are perfect? No, it means they have a way to handle pressure with good. And so I was always kind of envious because anybody that knows me, I'm, I'm not the smiling kind. I'm working on it. But my neutral face is just the opposite. And if people don't know me, they think I'm bothered or whatever. And even back then, I thought, wow, that's really cool. I wish I could smile more like him. And God said, well, why don't you? That's a good idea. I'll work on that, Lord. And that's my Stephen Baldwin story. He smiled a lot. And I never forgot it. And out of all the emotions and feelings we've addressed so far in this series, I think this one may be the hardest for us to handle personally, and we may feel the most frequently. I'm going to keep you all lifted up in this, I promise. Sadness is a part of the journey we're on. And when I feel sad, I remember what Jesus did. And when I feel sad, I remember what he said. Not only what he said, but what he did and vice versa. The two go together. You step, I step. My talk is cheap if my life don't back it up, you know. So we preach that hard. We preach that so hard. We got some swag coming in that says, you step, I step, dash God as the author. Because we really believe that. And that just became a thing the last four years. But maybe these seasons of sadness that we're in or have been in, God is building the greatest comeback story. I'm writing a series right now called The Comeback. It's so good. And maybe right now, God is writing the greatest comeback story you've ever seen in your life. Your sadness may be a prelude to a triumphant victory of God's plan over your life. And God didn't promise we'd never feel pain, but he promised that he'd be our source of strength to overcome any obstacle that we could ever face or or imagine. So my question to you today is what are you 
facing in this current season? Are you holding on to what God said was just for a season? After a little while, in a little while, did anybody's parents ever do that to them? Well, in a little bit, I'll play Halo with you 20 times. My kids want me to go shoot people in Halo. There they are. There they are. Hey, Dad, can we play Halo? In a little while, I say that a lot, right? Now he doesn't know. Okay. I see you want to play me in front of the people. That's all good. Those are my boys up there. My children on the front row and my fifth one's at home because she's two months, can't drive yet. Everything is a season. The highs, the lows, and the in-between is a season. So we know there's a transition out of it, but man, it still takes for a long time, right? Like how long will this go on? There's people in this church that aren't even here because they've been in a season for so long of pain, stress, and sadness, and they go, how long, God, will this go on so I can even just go back to church? Like, like when I think I have it bad, like, there's levels to people's pain, and there's always someone hurting worse. How long? So we know it's for a season, but it can feel like an eternity when we experience this. I had a friend who actually used to be here in this church, and he said, at nighttime when I'm alone is when I struggle. Because the enemy wants to attack your mind. And so the hardest part of keeping it good for Jesus and being, being an advocate for Jesus is when you get all alone and you start thinking a lot. Is anybody else a thinker? Do we have any thinkers in the room? I'm a ponderer. Christine, you're a ponderer. And I'm sure you could witness that when you ponder alone long enough, you can start sending yourself down paths that the thought really never should have gone. And before you know it, you've made something fictitious become reality. Did you know you can drill something long enough in your mind, you can make it real after 20 years? I got, I got issues. I got issues, Curry. I got issues because uh, there's stuff I'm starting to forget in the beginning of, like, marriage. And now, like, over time, I realized I was planting seed that was fictitious. And over time, it became real to me. And now I can't totally remember and I've seen, like, other people who got married and were married for a long time that happened to, and I said, oh, is that what's happening to me? Is this how it goes? And so I had to come to a realization that I was, I was allowing thoughts in that were captivating my mind. Instead of taking captive those thoughts, as the Bible says, and get rid of them, I was watering them, making them become my reality. We, we, we're at home, and, and it gets really negative. We, we say, quit speaking that in this house. Quit speaking death in this house. Well, it's supposed to snow. Like, you know what? If it snows, good. If not, I'm alive. If it snows, I'm alive and we're sledding. Like, it's all good. Like, we can choose how we water the seed. And so, and so I tell you that because he had a specific struggle with a specific memory. And, and, and when he was alone is when he fought the hardest. And when he was around people, the distraction of good helped avoid the sadness. If you ever felt like the world was rejoicing, rejoicing around you, that you were hurting internally, you got to live a little to hurt a little bit. I'm going to tell you another story so this makes sense. If you don't ever experience anything, you maybe never felt what I'm saying. 
but there'll be a time where you do, young people. Because I was young once, and I worked with this guy, and guess what he said back then? He said, you smile a lot. I'm like, me? The ponderer? Best Buy. His name was Chad, and he was older. And he says, you smile a lot. I can tell you haven't gone through much in your life. And he was right. I was 17, had my 240SX and SX Nissan. I won't talk about the music that was playing until my mom caught me one day with some Limp biscuit all the way up. It's Christian music, guys. They're like, who's... Anyway, we won't go there. Don't Google it. What I'm saying to you is this word will never impact you to find a resolution in your life until you have to experience what it's talking about. And you will experience this in some season or another. So I'm just saying, give it time. You'll find sadness. I know that sounds horrible. It's not horrible. It's how God uses the season to grow you. If everything was just great all the time, which I really wish it was, there would never be no opportunity to change. There would never be an opportunity to reevaluate. So when we think, how long are we going to be stuck in this season, maybe God is saying, you need some real talk. Maybe some real talk will get you out. That's what he did here, and we're going to get back to that in a little while. And then after a little while, you like that? That's what Jesus said. There's an ebb and flow to our relationships. This series is on relationships. How do I improve my relationships? You have to recognize these emotions and how they interact with the people around you and how they sometimes are making decisions for you. So now that I understand how to use love, overriding jealousy, overriding bitterness, and now overriding sadness, I got some weapons to use in real life. It's not just to get you to holler on Sundays, God is good, God is able. Okay, Monday comes and I'm hurting again. I'm in a mind trap. How long will it be like this? Are you holding on, though, to what God said was just for a season? There really could be no understanding of joy if we weren't tested with adversity pain. I hate that part of life, but I trust God. I hate that there has to be suffering to really understand the goodness of God. Did you know every triumph in the scripture, there was trial, every one of them. There was never just a moment at Starbucks where nothing happened that tested anybody of faith. So I want to challenge you that just because you make a mistake doesn't mean God's not going to use that thing to grow you. He's good like that. He's smarter than us. He has no counselor. So we can disqualify ourselves from a situation perhaps and say, I made a mistake and that was the worst part of my life and so now I'm no good to God and God says, no, I'm going to use that to take you to what real joy is because you never would understand unless you screwed up a couple times. And God says, I don't like it. I'm not saying go screw up. But if you do because you are flesh and you are bound to make a mistake, I'm going to capitalize on it and make it better for you if you seek me fully. In the situation, come on, somebody. You feeling, you feeling heaven's heartbeat today? Y'all awake today? Come on, come on. Make the preacher just know I'm not speaking to a, a library. Vincent says, you say that a lot. I say, it's not a library in here. Well, it's not. It's not a library. They don't have picture books there either. That's what I need. But seriously, 
We know seasons change, and Jesus said, in a little while, but the question we have to start asking ourselves is, do they really change for us? Because the enemy will tell you no. The enemy will tell you, don't come to church unless you're serving, because you're wasting your time. I hate that. Can I tell you that? If you're serving, come to church anyway. Like, come on, that's a common thing for churches, because they're getting numb to the message. So that tells me to preach louder, preach harder. Enemy's telling you, just, just stay the way you are. Just stay in your season. And so we start going, can we really change? I face this going into 40. I'm 43 now. 38 to 43 caused me to plant a church or something. It's a midlife crisis because, because you start doubting your whole existence. You'll doubt your motive. But Jesus reminded those moments that they were in right there because what he was really saying is I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to resurrect and the people are going to think I die but when I come back I'm going to actually say I won and you're going to understand because I give you real talk that they're not able to chew yet. Me and Vincent have real talk because we have a relationship like that, right? Like, like sometimes it's good and sometimes like, hey, don't do that. Like because, because we love each other on a level that, that appreciates that kind of real talk. And Jesus says, you will understand what they don't yet. It can't always be just high fives and hugs, though we want that. At some point, you need some real talk from the Lord. Because otherwise, this just becomes a show. And it's not just me and him. It's like people you know well, you will start speaking to on a deeper level and Jesus says, in a little while, you will understand. In a little while, I don't have to give you the riddles anymore. I can give you the straight dose of meat gospel because you're going to get it. You won't freak out no more when I say drink of my blood and eat my flesh like they all did because you understand that I'm talking about life and death and the resurrection. And now you've been there with me, so you can, you can walk there with me and talk there with me. You getting this? My headset's falling off my ears. Pardon me, guys. David said it in Psalms. I didn't give you this, I don't think. That's okay, Christine. I'm just going to read it. He said, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Oh, that's me. And day after day have sorrow, which means sadness, in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? See, even David, the king, the man after God's own heart, had moments like this. He was one of the biggest screw-ups and one of the most used men of the Old Testament to bring forward Israel so that when Christ came, it made sense. It was so good. If our joy came from the same place as the world, it wouldn't last and it wouldn't grow. So there's only a joy that's bigger than any of these things that can fix it. And to grow, we have to hold on to the things of Jesus. They call it seeker sensitive in church church talk. And, and I've learned to balance this because you can't real talk to somebody when they come in the door. They used to have people like that that would do that when you came into church and they never came back because they don't understand what you're, what you're doing. But, but there's the flip side to the church today that we can be so just so, so patronizing and so, so, so everything like, like praying, like, like we talked about this, am I really going to pray for you? Maybe God says they need a prayer, but they need some legs. They need to get up and get a job. 
because they don't like it and they're trying to milk the system. Like maybe, maybe, they need a, maybe they need someone to tell them, hey, I love you, but I see you making mistakes. Maybe that's how God is going to deliver them. Like that's real talk as a Christian. I'm not saying this for everybody on Sunday morning. Y'all like this guy crazy. I'm saying it should evolve to a place where you can talk to your, your peers like that and you can talk to your God like that. Like, God, tell me what I need and let me absorb it in a way that I really want to implement what you're saying to me. Because even David, the man who was so mighty, is going, when will they leave me alone? And God says, how dare you question my will for you? So it happens to everybody. Are you holding on to what God said was just for a season? That real talk that he said he was going to give them. I love that. Jesus was gangster, can I just say? Jesus was not this guy just floating around. He was for real in the dirt like, like you want to be the greatest, get in the dirt. How bad do you want it? He was, he was, he was hard with gracefulness. He was transparent with truth but graceful in his delivery, and that's why I love God, and, and I need that. That's what sharpens you. They say iron, iron sharpens iron, but that real talk moment is where you find out if somebody really wants change. And I know this is on sadness today, and not all situations are remedied by this thing, but I'm saying this thing of going closer to God and getting to a level where God can tell you straight is how you find that joy that's going to satisfy any dart of sadness the enemy throws your way. I mean, how long are you going to keep tripping on the same twigs? I'm preaching to myself. Like, I've had thoughts that are so repetitive, I'm like, God, just get them out of my head. They just keep coming back to my head. It's like I can't even, unless I have a major distraction, I can't. That's why I think I'm always on working on something. Michelle's like, can't you just chill out and watch a movie? And I'm like, I'm trying to, but my mind's not there. I'm always working on something else. I get, like, bored, which is a problem. That's me avoiding something. That's how you find out where you really are in life. So we got to let go of that season. But we have to hold on and take heart to this in a little while. Let go of that thing that is repeatedly telling you not to do this thing for God, that, that you're not worthy and that your life's horrible. Let go of that thing and start holding on tightly to the thing that God says, I'm going to give you in a little while. The world is rejoicing now, and you may be feeling something that they're not right now, but in a little while, look to your neighbor, tell them, in a little while, hold on to that. Take heart and hold on. I can let go of sadness because I'm holding on to joy. The Bible says here in verse 24, there is a day when your joy will be complete. He says, until now you have not asked anything in my name. And, and ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And yes, I know you're going to say, well, I asked and he didn't do it. But doesn't mean he didn't do it. He just didn't do it your way. I don't like it either. I thought it would be different. But that's why it's not about me. It's about trusting him. Because when I get to a point where I say whatever God's way is, is enough, I'm okay with that. And that satisfies me. That's where I can relieve the pressure and find the joy. Otherwise, it's a control. You're arm wrestling Jesus. You're wrestling Jesus like Jacob. God says, you can't pin me. 
Caleb, don't make me get you up here again. Four years ago, I had him up here. We were preaching that scripture, and he tackled me on the concrete, and I broke something. Thank you, Caleb. I love you. He was five, guys. <laughs> Y'all can stand this morning. I asked God to give me a way to talk about this without crushing hearts in a bad way that I could take meat from this and apply it in a good way when I left 1C Church on Sunday, February 20th. I want to see this other verse. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Somebody was asking me about peace last week. I have said these things, and if you forget this in an hour like me, because I'm, I'm ADD, read it again. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The world can't touch me. I've overcome it. Take heart. That means lock it in the chamber. That is the pulse of heaven here. I'm giving you, says Jesus. In me you have peace. Take heart and hold on. I've got a God bigger than my past who overcomes my sadness. And my sadness is just a situation, and I'm going to glorify God for my pain because it's leading to a new season that otherwise I would have stayed stuck in the one I'm at. You getting this? Come on, somebody. You can be free of that. You can be free of the mental trap. The same trap. Get out of the trap. I'm good. I'm done with this trap. I'm done with that season. I'm letting go of that because in a little while I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to God's word. It's just a season. I'm letting go of it. I mentioned Stephen Baldwin in the beginning because as much as he smiled, I know the man had to have some pain in his life. Just looking back at the track record, that's what led him to doing what he was doing. You see, you got you to gotta get to a place where God really can have a real talk with you and say, it's not working your way. It's not working. I was 25 on my knees in my room going, God, help me. I did it again. What is wrong with me? And I pray for my children. They never get to that level of it. But if they do, they know from this word today that they can find a way out of it in 20 years. So we're thankful for that. We're going to let go of that season. We're going to hold on to what's coming. What's coming is good. God, I'm not going to worry about the church growing because you, you're touching it. I can't do it. You're going to do it. You're going to do it because it's, if it's your will, it's your way, and I don't have to worry about it. And I can save some gray hairs because I have a God bigger than my ability to understand. You have overcome any season. You've overcome Corona. Do you think God can overcome Corona? Does anybody think God can overcome Corona? Well, I don't know. Does Jesus wear a mask? I'm not saying don't wear your mask. I'm saying God is bigger than it. And at some point, you got to say, that's it. God's bigger. I'm going forward. I'm bringing my life back. I'm bringing my pulse back. I'm bringing back my heart for Jesus. It's okay to cry for the Lord sometimes. You're supposed to. 
You're supposed to feel the presence of God. You're supposed to feel heaviness because that's God working on your soil. That's why we worship. That's why we praise because we mean it. And it's not a concert. It's a worship experience. And I get a little fired up because I love music. And I've been there in that fake pop music world. I gave my life to it. But this is bigger than the show. It's good. It's bigger than that. So when you enter a worship experience, you feel the presence of God like something you've never felt before. You don't know what to make of it.